MSW Media. Thanks to Feels for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Feels CBD is the natural, healthy, better way to feel better, and it ships directly to your doorstep in only a few days. Go to feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's episode 57, and you're getting this on Wednesday, February 16th, but my co-host Andrew Torres and I are recording this on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Aw, happy Valentine's Day to you. I I did not get you chocolates. I did not get you flowers, but I did get you something I know you'll like even better, an in-depth breakdown of an insane court filing by our good friend John Durham. Yeah, that's way hotter. And uh, I can't wait. I I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But my favoritest favorite thing is actually our patrons. So a big thank you to you, Cole, Nancy D, Eileen, Mercury Vapor, love it, and quote, merely the washing instructions on the marvelous tapestry of life, unquote. (laughs) It's so great. And also thanks to a male lady, that's M-A-I-L, anonymous intelligence officer, well, Christian Smith, Christy Campbell and Chris and Lauren. Thank you all so much. And remember, you can join these fine individuals and receive all of our candy hearts over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D for as little as a buck an episode. Yes. And thanks to all of our patrons. You help keep us off Spotify. Yep. And now on with the show. <laughs> Let's dive into the latest Durham filing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's. But first, a little background, uh, and feel free to correct me on any of this. I did this off the top of my head. Uh, Before Bill Barr resigned his position as attorney general, he appointed John Durham to investigate the oranges of the Trump-Russia investigation. This was after Barr spent tons of our taxpayer dollars gallivanting around the world trying to dig up dirt on Christopher Steele and Mifsud, uh, which he was totally unsuccessful at. I think he even went to Italy to watch some sort of deposition of, I don't know, maybe it was the Vienna guy, Furtash. It was just ridiculous. But did he get the DNC server from Ukraine? That's what I want to know. The, the <laughs> physical, actual... Yeah, anyway. Um, also, in August of 2020, uh, there was an FBI lawyer named Kleinsmith, okay, and and he pled guilty to altering an email to say that Carter Page was not a source for another government agency. Of course, 
None of that means anything, right? Given that uh, Dag Rod Rosenstein signed off on the FISA warrant renewal. No charges were ever brought against Carter Page. Further, at the time of the renewal, Page was no longer even with the Trump campaign. This is all a smokescreen. Uh, but, you know, that that smoke is all they have. It, it is. And then almost a full year later, after the Klein Smith <laughs> indictment, right. all Durham had come up with was an indictment of a lawyer named Michael Sussman for allegedly lying to FBI General Counsel Jim Baker during a conversation that was not recorded, that had no other witnesses present, and no contemporaneous notes taken about it. Sussman apparently told Jim Baker, according to Durham, that he was not <laughs> representing any specific client when he came to the FBI and another agency, which was the CIA, with concerning information about a Trump Tower server that was communicating exclusively with Alpha Bank. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and look, the, the Alpha Bank stuff was a dead end, right? Turned out to be overhyped by the by overzealous uh, representatives of the Clinton campaign. That, by the way, is perfectly normal campaign right operative behavior anyway durham's indictment of sussman was i i don't know more of a blog post for right-wing conspiracy theories than anything i mean we we went into detail on this show on your show on my show it it went on for pages about the clinton campaign hiring and paying sussman for his work none of which was illegal right or, or else he'd have been indicted for election interference instead of the one count 18 USC 1001 false statements. Yeah, and we don't even know if it was 1001A or 1001B because nope. Sussman's attorneys <laughs> filed what's called a bill of particulars uh, asking Durham to clarify his conspiracy theory blog post indictment <laughs> on on several grounds, including the fact that Durham didn't say what the statement was that Sussman I made that was false. <laughs> He didn't even say, he's like, can you just tell us what he said that was a lie? Because you should probably have that in there. It also didn't clarify that whether he violated 1001A or 1001B, meaning Durham didn't say whether Sussman made materially false statements on whether, uh, on anything or whether he lied by omission, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking of materiality, Sussman's lawyers brought up the fact that Durham didn't prove that the false statement had any actual impact on the way the FBI proceeded. He only said it might have yeah, it, had and, an impact. <laughs> so all of that, let me do a, a tiny sidebar. Um, Bill of Particulars, which you might infer from the sort of delightfully 18th century name, this is not a thing you file very often. You file it when your argument to the court is literally... I can't figure out as the defendant how to defend myself here because these things are so vague. I'm not saying get rid of the case yet. I'm saying you're not even wrong because I can't figure out what you're saying. about. <laughs> I can't even file a motion to dismiss this right. bullshit until I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly right. So and let's also not forget that Jim Baker had testified to Congress that he couldn't actually recall what Sussman told him in that meeting with regards to who he was working for. And and uh, throughout all of it, the FBI knew for a fact that he was a lawyer for the Clinton campaign. And by the way, that's also not illegal, right? Like it is not illegal to go to a government agency and say, I have information about a potential crime. And by the way, you know, and not and not have to disclose that you government agency investigating that crime might benefit one of my clients. That's not a crime. 
No. No, it's not. But even with, I mean, Baker's testimony yeah. throws this all under the bus. Then we found <laughs> out from a filing from Durham himself that he screwed up during discovery and conveniently forgot about two phones belonging to Jim Baker that he definitely knew about because he investigated Jim Baker in 2018 for leaks. I wonder who put him up to that uh, and, and had those two phones, right? And that's his star witness, Jim Baker, yep. who he investigated. He <laughs> investigated for leaks that went nowhere. And Durham told the court late on a Friday night during a snowstorm that he was going to review those logs on those phones for you know, for stuff, and I'll get back to everybody. Sorry, uh, I, I didn't recall those f- phones existed. And that pretty much brings us up to the present time and, and this new filing from Durham in the Sussman case. Yeah, that is that is a great summary of the, the background of how we got here. Um, H- H- I have to concede, it is not every day that I get to see a pleading that I have literally never seen before. Well... I should take that back, right? I, I follow Sidney Powell, right? So I've seen all sorts of things that no lawyer has ever seen before and should never file. But look, this is a first for me from, you know, otherwise respectable prosecutors at the Department of Justice. So what is this pleading? It is not a motion to disqualify counsel. I have seen it reported as such in several outlets. It is instead titled a, quote, Motion to inquire into potential conflicts of interest. Now, if you're thinking, what's a motion to inquire? Good question. <laughs> it's like, That's... hey, I think the sky's <laughs> green. Can you look I, into that for me? You... I just want I just want everyone to know I think it's green. It's, can everyone hear me? It's green. I, Don't it... believe your eyes. But I need the court to look into this for me. Could you? <sighs> so the inquiry is involving the law firm that Michael Sussman chose to represent him in connection with this criminal indictment, right? Latham and Watkins. Yeah. Now, Sussman himself is a former partner at another huge law firm heavily connected to Democratic politics, Perkins Coie. Right. I'm sure you've heard about them. Latham and Watkins is the second largest law firm in the world. They have nearly 3,000 attorneys in 28 offices around the country and overseas. They own LW.com, which is pretty damn impressive. (laughs) Two letters, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To find one of their partners on the website, it has its own search engine. Its own. So (laughs) tell me that this filing isn't just Latham and Watkins represented other parties in connection with the Mueller investigation, because that would be really sad. Is that what this is? This this filing is literally just... Latham and Watkins also represented two other parties in connection with the Mueller investigation. But Bill Barr, who appointed Durham, <laughs> worked for Alpha Bank. I, uh, we'll we'll get to an even better own goal. Like it's okay. it's, it's in the pleading, <laughs> but like, I, yeah, look, like this is why Durham had to title this thing a motion to inquire, which again, not a thing. Because if he'd called it a motion to disqualify, it would have been laughed even harder right out of court, right? Like Because there are actual standards for how we adjudicate a motion to disqualify. We're going to talk about those in a minute. Uh, I, look, I, I want to steal bot the other side for a second, okay? I, I'm not saying that I can't envision a situation in which you go to court with incomplete knowledge and you say, it looks like there's something fishy going on here. Can the court take a look at this? and resolve this particular factual question and tell me whether there's a conflict or not. And the reason that you would do that is you can't get discovery on your own about that thing that looks fishy, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I you 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 giggle derisively correctly, right? Like you you may infer that that is not in fact what we have here, and I can prove it to you uh, with Control F and uh, literally one footnote from the document. Okay, okay. Let me, let me guess to Control F. You searched the names of three Latham and Watkins lawyers who have officially filed notices of appearance on behalf of Sussman. Uh, and that would be, as we know, Sean Berkowitz, Michael Bosworth, and Natalie Hardwick Rao. I've mentioned them several times because mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, just throw this out because Bar uh, because Durham wasn't even appointed under any authority. But, you know, whatever. That's, that's putting the cart before the horse. Uh, and I'm guessing that those specific individuals are mentioned zero times zero times yeah yeah right like, so so look that right right there that should probably strike you as a little bit suspicious because again when you want to go to the court you want to say right here is what the lawyers who are presently before you actually know here's what they have actually done that there is a thing of imputation of knowledge we're going to talk about that but look you combine the lack of specificity with, I, I swear to God, this is the most unintentionally hilarious footnote I have seen in any non-Kraken lawyer filing, okay? And it's footnote one. Oh, great. <laughs> it's, Even better. It, 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 it's on page seven. Now, but but the first six pages are the introduction and the parties and the jurisdictional statements and everything else. So for context, this is the first footnote to the first sentence that ostensibly sets out what the conflict of interest is or might be here. So let, let's quote from that sentence and then quote the footnote. Okay, here's the sentence. This is in the main text. From approximately July 2020 through approximately July 2021, Latham represented three separate clients. The defendant, that's Sussman, Law Firm 1, that's Perkins Coie, and Campaign Lawyer 1, that's another unindicted Perkins Coie lawyer who supposedly inflated the Alpha Bank narrative. We could we could probably take a, a couple of guesses as to who that is. It doesn't matter, right? That's the conflict. That's the sentence. Latham represented three separate clients, Sussman, Coo, Perkins Coie, and another Perkins Coie lawyer in connection with the special counsel's investigation. So so that's the sentence. And, and, and then there's the footnote. But <laughs> then there's footnote one immediately after that, which I will try to read with a straight face. Please forgive me if I cannot. One of the Latham lawyers, one of the Latham attorneys who represented the defendant during this time period is now serving at the Department of Justice. It is the understanding of the special counsel's office that this attorney expeditiously and appropriately recused himself from any involvement in the special the special counsel's investigation and these proceedings. Okay. Uh, Okay, I like the idea that the Latham lawyer who left to join the Department of Justice was, of course, expeditiously ethical and recused. (laughs) But uh, everyone else at that firm needs to be investigated. (laughs) 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 But seriously, isn't this recusal process the answer here? I mean, didn't isn't recusal doesn't that doesn't that solve the conflict of interest recusal? I mean, to make sure nobody from Latham, who worked on the previous Mueller investigation stuff, has any contact with Berkowitz, Bosworth, and Rao. A- and isn't it uh, highly likely that when Sussman had those three new lawyers in the first place? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you just call up Berkowitz and say, hey, you're, you, you've walled off everyone who was previously involved with the Mueller probe, right? Right? Yeah, well, look, 100% as a as a owner of a law firm. That's what you would do, right? And and 100% if you're in Durham shoes, 
you that's if you suspect there's something you would just call up and ask because look there is a special ethics rule that superseded the old rule so the old rule was called vicarious disqualification right mm-hmm. and it said um if you're at a firm and your firm has represented somebody we impute all of the knowledge of that firm to everybody who works for the firm right that really went out of favor in 1955 right once you started having big firms right and and look like I, when i worked for a big firm i worked for covington and burling which had 300 lawyers let alone 3000 right like it, it, it it's ridiculous to think, right? There's not a Mr. Latham who knows everything that Latham and Watkins knows, right? So what do we do? We rewrote the rules of ethics to screen off conflicts so that you don't impute conflicts across an entire firm of 3,000 lawyers. So that is rule 1.10A2. And the, the reason that we know that Durham didn't just call up Berkowitz and ask Uh, Because if he had, he would have an answer to and would not have to plead things like Latham may have gained privileged insights into any such differences between the factual testimony of Sussman and the prior two witnesses from their prior confidential attorney-client communications. They may have, but like, it's really important to know that like, you, you, you don't impute those qualifications automatically to thousands of people if you followed the very straightforward ethical screening procedures that are in 1.10A2, the same ones that you just described in footnote (laughs) one. Um, The second important thing to know here is kind of the way in which these motions to disqualify work. Right, right. Okay, so my understanding is because there's none mentioned, Right, right. There's no statute or specific like like people right now on the right are like, oh my god, have you seen this criminal thing? And I'm like, there's no indictment in here, and no, what are you talking about? And he doesn't mention a statute a, no. a, or even a specific law or a, even a provision in the federal rules of criminal procedure. He doesn't he doesn't cite any of that. It looks like this is instead a straightforward question. Does the legal representation violate the professional rules of ethics? And I imagine uh, that the bar of depriving a defendant of the lawyer of their choosing is probably pretty high. <laughs> yeah, that's it. that is exactly right. Right. So the legal test that that's developed over the years is called the substantial relationship test. Right. So, for example, just because I represent one client now doesn't mean that I am automatically prohibited from representing anyone who's ever interacted with that client in the future, right? That would be not a practical rule to impose on lawyers, particularly, you know, small town lawyers, right? Instead, I am prohibited from disclosing or adversely acting upon attorney-client privilege that I received in that first representation, right? So an example of where you would disqualify me I know that client A committed bank fraud. Uh, I then later sign up client B who says, let's go sue client A. Right? Um, the, the, the problem is not just being adverse to client A. The problem is that in that adversity, I happen to know material information about where and where there might not be money to recover on behalf of my new client, client B. And I got that from client A, who presumably would not have told me had he known that it was going to be used against him later on, right? So to preserve the sanctity of attorney-client communications, I am I am 
prohibited from representing client B. But on the other hand, if I represent client A in connection with, let's say, a failed bid for a government contract, right? I can and I do, let's say with a government agency, the, the Federal Department of Education, right? I can represent clients B, C, D down the line filing bids on separate DOE contracts all the time, right? So long as it's not the same contract, so long as I'm not using information that I gained from client A to the advantage of subsequent clients, there's no, we're good. There's no prohibition on that representation. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So while this motion styles itself as an inquiry, <laughs> as I read it, I don't see anything that really establishes even an inference to that kind of conflict. Instead, I see things like Latham represented law firm one, that's Perkins, and Perkins represented the Clinton campaign. So, uh, and I'm kind of at a loss for what the conflict is supposed to be. And, and Andrew, I, ha I have a question here. Sure. What seems... Uh, he just files these things to stir everyone up. Nobody's going to, none of the base is going to care about what the response is from the court, who will probably just turn around and say, hey, yeah, there's no conflict here. Uh, this lawyer recused themselves. Oh, and doesn't matter because they didn't have anything to do with any of this anyway. Like, <laughs> like it's just going to be embarrassing, but, but that's not going to get coverage. Yeah, though, that is exactly right. And the what, what, what you have here is the 21st century version of the retraction problem, right? Like, you know, huge negative headline on A1, retraction three days later on page A37. Well, here, right, huge headline uh, on, uh, you know, the, the right-wing blogosphere. And when the court slaps this down, not just retraction on page A37, like, I don't think the gateway pundit is going to be covering the fact that uh, the court says uh, motion denied. Yeah. Also dumb. It's It's. I don't think it's just going to say motion denied. I think it's going to say, and here's why your motion is dumb. I, and it, <laughs> it might even ask why you didn't file a motion to disqualify, which is the normal course of things if you have a disqualification, nor, and then they might even bring up the fact that they didn't name any of the lawyers who are representing Sussman, just these other lawyers who made it up to the DOJ, one of them, and recused themselves. So it just, I feel like it's going to be I think it's going to be more embarrassing than just motion denied. Honestly, I, I, I think I think that's exactly right. And and look, the <laughs> there might even throw in like a don't waste my fucking time anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, Latham gets to file a reply brief here, this is right? Be fun. And it's going to be a lot of. I am. I have been refreshing every day. Uh, on Pacer to see if it comes in. This was. This Do you was, think they'll ask for another bill of particulars? <laughs> Sadly, I don't think you could do that on a motion for inquiry that doesn't exist. Uh, but yeah, I expect. And you know, look, I, I, statistically speaking, odds are reasonably good that a Latham lawyer listens to our shows, right? Um, I, I would wager a significant sum of money that. Their opposition is going to say, number one, we don't know what this is. Number two, here's here's the process that was filed that comports with Rule 1.10A2 of the Model Rules of Professional Conduct. Number three, we would have told John Durham this if he had just asked, but he didn't ask, right? And it will attach an affidavit, right, uh, that, that says, yeah, yeah uh, uh, sitting here waiting by the phone, buddy, like you never text, you never call. Um, yeah, there's simply then, an uh, excuse yeah. to spread more conspiracy theories, honestly. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And, you know, 
I mean, that sort of hints at a larger discussion that, you know, <laughs> you and I have had and that I, I don't really know the answer. And that is, right, what do we do? We have, we have, <laughs> we have some answer from Detroit, right? <laughs> like when you have an orchestrated effort by bad faith actors to use the judicial system to generate blog posts, memes, gateway pundit articles, and stuff like that, right? And yeah, and, it was, and I hope Latham and Watkins brings that up in their response. I, 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 I hope so too, right? Because it, it's a disturbing pattern, right? It was one of the things, you know, when, when you and I went through at great length uh, in, in connection with the uh, Kraken sanctions, uh, you know, from Judge Parker in Detroit, uh, that that I found most brilliant about David Fink's brief in that case. And that was tying together, look, their brief, why does their brief cite this 1879 Supreme Court case that's never been cited before? Oh, because it's going around the right-wing memosphere among, you know, conspiracy theorists and sovereign citizens about how fraud vitiates everything. They are not writing this to you, Judge. They are writing this so that they can say that a court has blessed the, the their filing of fraud vitiates everything. Um, and and the more I mean, I think that was part of what led Judge Parker. In fact, I mean, you know, we have really strong evidence to the case that, um, you know, in that final footnote of the sanctions order that all of a sudden she realized that, you know, Sidney Powell is fundraising off of this. And it was part of the basis for a demand that uh, uh, that uh, that the state bars and the home jurisdictions of these Kraken lawyers disbar these people because they are abusing the process. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that on February 9th, Mazars sent a letter to uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Then the next night, Junior goes on a Coke binge and releases a video. And then we get this filing all of a sudden. And, and you know, I, I'm not really huge into kind of weird conspiracy theories about distraction, but this timing is really, really interesting. And I have to wonder what other BS filings He's gotten the hopper for like when the Trump or gets superseding indictments or, or or something else happens, because this just seems like it was thrown together. Well, I can't do a motion to disqualify. I can't do this. Well, I guess we could bring up the fact that a guy from a 3000 person law firm ended up working at the Department of Justice who recused themselves anyway. But maybe we could bring that up and ask the court to inquire about it while spreading a bunch of conspiracy theory bullshit. So people are, you know, looking at the new shiny object while, you know, it, Stories like the Mazar's Dear Don letter come out. Uh, be because it's exhausting, right? <laughs> I mean, it's look, it's exhausting for us, and this is our job, uh, you know, let alone person. And, and let's remember, I mean, this is sort of the sad truth, is that they got away with the dumbest and worst version of this. It is, it's the single thing about which I, I've been the most spectacularly wrong in my career, and, and that is uh, I, I thought uh, that, when the strategy was to have Bill Barr three weeks in advance issue a quote summary of the Mueller report that omitted the word not, I, I like I this is not hard to prove, right? You you could do this by just going to the pages that he cites and saying, oh look, it this leaves out an although, this leaves out a not, uh, and and I thought that that Bill Barr would be impeached. I thought that that would be the beginning of the end, um, and it and it wasn't because. 
all of Congress, either all of the Republican members of Congress, minus Justin Amash, who actually read the damn thing and was like, oh, I have to resign from the party now because this is real bad. Everybody else was like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, ah, Bill Barr said it was fine. So guess it's fine. If we're at that level where that's what you can get away with, then they're going to continue to try those strategies until mm-hmm. you can't get away with it anymore. And, yep. it's, you know, it's our job to hold them accountable. Agreed. And um, that should conclude for now <laughs> the deep dive into the Durham debacle. Boy, that's oh. a lot of alliteration there. Um, we do have some more cleanup stories, uh, but we have to take a quick break. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on L45, and I want to tell you about Feels CBD. CBD is a safe, natural, healthy way to help eliminate stress, anxiety, and pain from your daily life. CBD has been so helpful for me to relieve soreness from workouts, nervousness, and sleeplessness, all without harmful side effects. Feels is a better way to feel better, and we have an offer for you. Go to feelsfeals.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. Now, the great thing about Feels is it's premium CBD that will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. You order it online and have it delivered right to your door. CBD, as we know, helps reduce anxiety, stress, and pain and insomnia naturally with no hangover and no addiction. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue. Finding the ideal dose for you is also important, and everyone's dose is different. So what Feels has done is they've offered a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. That's amazing. You can rely on Feels customer service and their team to get the most out of your CBD. Self-care is easy with a Feels membership. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. It's super easy. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feelsfeals.com slash cleanup and get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. That's feelsfeals.com slash cleanup to become a member and get 40% automatically taken off your first three months with free shipping. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. This is hilarious. We have some other quick cleanup (laughs) news today. An exclusive high tea planned by former First Lady Melania Trump for charity is under investigation after a New York Times report. As a paper noted this weekend, the Florida fundraiser is being held for a charity that doesn't exist in Florida. <laughs> okay, well, it sounds bad when you put it that way. Um, <laughs> I couldn't think of a, of, a, of a better way to put it. Well, they haven't been able to find a charity I, registered know. under that name in Florida. Uh, all right. But look, the T is meant to raise money for fostering the future which um is apparently a charity initiative of be best trump's how uh, you have to say this with a straight face anti-bullying campaign uh that uh, melania trump launched while she was still first lady uh tickets which of course are going for as high as fifty thousand dollars are meant to help support computer science scholarships for young people in foster care so uh, look great idea yeah, uh, except where's the bullying part? Okay, now, when asked about the solicitation, officials at the Florida agency, there's an agency that oversees charitable fundraising. Mm-hmm. That agency said uh, they also could find no evidence of the required state registration and had opened an inquiry as a result. Hmm. Yeah, that is the uh, Florida Consumer Services Division, and they reported, quote, that they are currently investigating whether this event involves an entity operating in violation of Chapter 496 of the Florida statutes. That is Erin Moffitt, the agency spokeswoman, uh, in a statement released to the press, 
uh, referring to, again, the Florida state law that requires charities to register before soliciting money. So when you hear the right wing spin on it, because obviously, I, you know, look, I could go register this business right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sure the Trumpers have, right? That's not a hard thing to do. I do it every single day. The law says the corporate entity has to exist before you can solicit money for <laughs> on its behalf. Otherwise, presumptively, it's not an official charitable fundraiser. And again, like there are lots of very specific rules that connect with this, right? Like you, you form a not-for-profit corporation under state law. You have to apply separately if you want to get 501c3 certification. That is an incredibly lengthy process, right? And, you know, you, you can't just say, I represent a charity and uh, why don't you give me 50 grand a pop? That that's that's not the law. Can there is is this like a fix it ticket so like they can, you know, just go in and, and register the Fook Christmas uh, charity and, and uh, then <laughs> retroactively be like, we fixed it. So you should let us off the hook. Um, so it, it wouldn't let you off for the 496 violation. Again, I, I don't want to suggest that the 496 is a misdemeanor, right? So let's not mm-hmm. get, you know, this is not going to send Melania Trump to prison, right? No. Um, but this is the groundwork for things like the New York Attorney General investigation that proved conclusively over a long stretch of time right, that the Trump charitable organization was a fraud, right? And and this is part of how you build up that case. Uh, and uh, I would imagine uh, that this will uh, not only extract a, uh, a, what will be, let's be honest, a negligible settlement from Melania Trump, right? They've, they've grifted more money than they have to, uh, to, to expend back here. But, but again, it's, it's yet more evidence. I, I, if you are not convinced that Donald Trump and his family have never done a single selfless thing in their entire miserable <laughs> lives, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how we can help you. Yeah. And, and you know, also it, the way that this is written, it appears that this function has not taken place yet. So right. it may simply just be canceled and let off yep. the hook. Yep. That's probably what well, I would say would be the. They'll find some other way to get these suckers to part with their money. Of course, but not through Florida, not there with an ch- unregistered charity. So good on you, Florida, for standing up for yourselves. Um, all right, before we go, we have a handful of comings and goings this week. So join me in welcoming Philip S. Goldberg, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service to be Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Republic of Korea. That's, have- a, that's a big one. <laughs> yep. That is. And we have Karen F. Patman to be ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Republic of Iceland. Very cool job because you get to uh, hang out with Bjork, you know, and I've, Eric, I've always wanted to go to Iceland. Uh, me too. I've, Reykjavik is on my list. Yeah. And Eric Christopher Raven to be undersecretary of the Navy. Yeah, go Navy. Woo. Welcome aboard. Yeah. So that's the, that's the show. Very shortcomings and goings. I think we're we may be getting close to getting all staffed up. Do we know the status of the final two postal board nominees? I know that they had not, the last time we spoke about this, been confirmed. Have they been confirmed and seated? I believe that that, that, that is still pending, although we record this on Monday. The show goes out on Wednesday. That may, you know, those developments may have taken place in in between record and broadcast. But as of right now, I think they're still in limbo. Yeah. So everyone who's like, why haven't they fired DeJoy yet? They literally cannot yet. But 
that's what's going on. They've been... uh, they're 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 teeing it up. Look, we talked to Congressman Krishnamurthy. It it is very very clear uh, that um, you know this is a high priority. I, I mean, everything's a high priority for the Biden administration, right? You've got a million fires to put out, uh, but uh, but but this is not something that they have forgotten about. Yeah, nope. And I promise they will not. And I promise they aren't just sitting around smoking bowls before the halftime show at the Super Bowl which is totally legal in California. I think they're working <laughs> on it. You know, they're, they're, they're as far as they can get um, at this moment, and in, in my opinion, the way that yeah. I see it. Well, um, and, and, and let's go. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, no, I was just, and that's what, that's the feeling I got from uh, Congressman Christian Morthy as well. I, I, I think that's right. I go back to, we cited the Washington Post career uh, appointee tracker uh, back uh, in uh, 2020. And if you check that out, Biden has now picked 472 nominees of the 799 positions that they're tracking. That is, what, about 60%? 284 have been confirmed by the Senate. We've seen the graphs. They're moving ahead of the pace of the previous uh, four administrations. So this is this is a key area where, you know, we expressed concern early on. Uh, and, uh, you know, it appears as though the Biden administration is moving as expeditiously as possible in the face of, you know, recalcitrant obstructionism for no reason uh, to really uh, to really staff up the government. And so, yeah, being over 60 percent here seems pretty good to me. Yeah. You know, what else was good was that halftime show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was. Oh, my gosh. If we my 48 can... year old California heart is full oh, of love for, for this it... entire thing. I mean, three decades worth of music by artists who's Careers have spanned five decades. Uh, Eminem taking a knee, even though the NFL told him not to. That was oh, <laughs> and and the right wing flipping out about that. Ugh. It's just uh, it, it is. Uh, you know, I will tell you right. You you're you're California girl. I'm an East Coast guy, right? This is this was not uh, not my music, not aimed at me. That's okay, right? Like it was a spectacular performance. I I mean, I legitimately loved it and. Uh, of course, I enjoyed just how much everybody on the on the far right uh, freaked out about it for. Let's remember the NFL. We covered this on opening arguments. Uh, players on the field, 70 percent black. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And your life must suck if you if you have so much hate in your heart that you can't enjoy Mary J. Blige and Kendrick huh? Lamar and and uh, fucking Dr. Dre. Like, oh. these are probably like. <laughs> I just imagine there's people who are like, man, I used to really like Dr. Dre, but nope, the Republicans are saying, fuck this sexual anarchy or whatever. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I just, can I just we, envision... Can we name Charlie Kirk, the ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary of, of the United States of America to dry ass pussy? Cause that's what he brings <laughs> wherever he goes. I will allow you to uh, to staff up that position. That's a that's a great nomination. Thank I, you. I, I just think, you know, I, I imagine all these folks bitterly turning down that uh, halftime show to, to crank. I don't know what what Ted Nugent's cat scratch fever or something like. Come on, get, yeah. No. Did he do that song? That's sad. Oh, he did. Yeah. He's got he's got cat scratch fever. He's got uh, playing the guitar on high enough by the damn Yankees. Uh, that was a super group. The only uh, one I remember was when he was like playing a chainsaw or something. Yeah. Is that the Nuge? I can't remember. Uh, probably. But uh, just, you know, 
their their best musician is a crazy journey journeyman uh you know anyway mm. well what i i had such a great time watching that <sighs> yeah I really did nothing will take away from that and, and dre and, said i'm still not friends with the police i was like Ooh, <laughs> Yeah. To say that probably and a great, the Rams, great game too I, that was know. a good game i was so. rooting for cincy but I, I take the rams i mean i'm born in cleveland so i'm really a browns fan but being ohio and california those are my uh, my hometowns i i i was it was nice to see the to to see the rams but that was a very good game i i i was i was rooting for cincy too as a as a ravens fan although like that split pretty hard down my family like my brother-in-law's uh i i text him i'm like okay to root for uh uh, Cincinnati here and he was like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they're huge rivals to the Browns right yeah, but we always yeah. just sort of back in the Midwest if, if you if somebody in your division or your state goes you're like all right cool right unless it's the Steelers we can unless all it's the Steelers they can right, all yeah. F them there you go exactly. uh, no actually my mom is a huge Steelers fan Ooh. so it's always it's nice for her when they do well Ooh, um, no. she gave up the Steelers to marry my dad and become a Cleveland Browns family so I got to give it to her you know huh? have your have your Steelers back now Good. dad's gone you know it's fine with me. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> All right. Well, vicariously, I will allow your allowance, but still register my protest. But uh, dude, I, you know how much I'm supposed to hate the Ravens, my friend. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I we didn't go there. <laughs> 1999's calling. Mm-hmm. Which is the year that the Snoop Dogg and the Dre songs came out. There so you, it's all it's, it's all a circle. seamless web. There we go. All right, everybody. Thank you again to our patrons. We really appreciate you. Um, we this show would not be possible without you. Do you have any final thoughts, Andrew? Nope. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week with Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five. Also, please give a listen to opening opening arguments and the Daily Beans. You uh, you'll not be sorry. Is that the end? Yeah, that's the end. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I wanted you to have the last word. I like the. I like. I think we should leave the. Is that the end? <laughs> Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.